Hello, I'm Mick Collagio, and this is Rink Wrap the Podcast, episode number five. I think it wrapped episode number five now. And this one's coming directly to you from West Barnett, Vermont, the home of uh, Robert Cap Raider, who came from uh, out of Needham High School, uh, two years behind Robbie Fatorik, and won the state championship in 1970 went on to play at the University of New Hampshire, uh, went on to coach at the University of New Hampshire, uh, played uh, before that with the New England Whalers of the World Hockey Association, uh, was uh, selected to play for Team USA in international competition, and actually once exchanged gifts with uh, Vladislav Tretiak, the famed uh, Russian goalie. And so... Um, uh, Cap, welcome to Rink Wrap the podcast. It, and and uh, while I didn't mention it, you were assistant coach of the Boston Bruins for two years, mm-hmm. and that's our Bruins connection today. As um, and uh, maybe even a stronger Bruins connection for you personally is you actually went to Bruins games uh, in the Boston Garden uh, when the, during the original six era. Oh yeah, uh, and the Garden was a special place. Uh, didn't matter whether it was the Bruins or the Celtics or the high school hockey or the college, uh, back then just the ECAC. Uh, it was always just a thrill to go in there. It was a thrill to play in there. But it was really a thrill just to be a spectator and a fan there also. One of the funnier things you've told me over the years is that Boston Garden was never a place that you really felt like you played well or was comfortable for you. Yeah, I for some reason, I mean, my sophomore year we played, uh, I think, six games there. Um we won the states, but it didn't have really anything to do with me. We had a, a tremendous team with Pilato, Dedigian, of course, Robbie Fatorik, uh, probably the best high school hockey player um, to come out of Massachusetts. And uh, we had Chuck Lambert, who played at BC, uh, Marty Shea, uh, Ronnie Godfrey. I mean, we had a great team. And uh, being a sophomore, I, I think probably I was probably the weak link uh, back then, but it was a great team. Uh, and it's always good to see someone when I go back to Needham. It was kind of cool seeing you where they honored um, uh, your your high school coach Chambers at in Needham, where the pond where you guys yeah. used to uh, get together. What what was that all about? How'd that happen? Well, I think Tommy uh, Pilato uh, got the the guys together and got donations. It was at Rosemary uh, Lake in Needham. And that's where Mr. Chambers used to go uh, all the time skating. And uh, back in the 40s, I guess, before there were rinks, they used to set rinks down at Rosemary Lake, and he was there all the time. And when we were little kids, you know, we were always big fans of Needham High Hockey. And we used to go down to Rosemary, and he'd be around, and he'd skate with us. Mm. And uh, they made a nice plaque and um, uh, two benches overlooking the lake. And, in fact... Uh, we had the movie, the uh, the the golden era of high school hockey that uh, we saw last winter in Norwood, Mass. Um, and when they interviewed me, I said, you know, I, I'll do the interview, but I'd really like to go to Coach's Cove, uh, Chambers Cove at Rosemary Lake to do it. And, mm-hmm. and we did. It was, you know, and he was a special guy. He's a guy that, one, believed in me. I was always a backup. I think I was a starter one year from Pee Wee through Bantam. And, you know, I kept working at it. And when I got to high school, you know, I became the starter. And he's one guy that through my youth, he really believed in me. And uh, I always appreciated, uh, he was a tough coach, but he was an honest coach and and he he set good examples for us. So 
uh, I think uh, the fact that he used to re make us read in study hall, uh, Lloyd Percival, Handbook of Hockey, and Didge would have to go in, and Robbie would have to go in, and I'd have to go in and read it, and then come back and discuss after school. So in each one of us were captains each year, and uh, all three of us ended up coaching. So it was, uh, I find, always found that interesting, and there's a little bit of John Chambers, I think, in all of us uh, that, that played for him. Uh, Steve DeDigion, most notably at St. Sebastian's. Right. Uh, Robbie, obviously, around the NHL, uh, New Jersey Devils, Boston Bruins, right. et cetera. Um, Los Angeles Kings. Right. That's and, how I uh, got to Los Angeles, through Robbie. Right. And uh, and then you coached with Barry Melrose, right. and you got to coach Wayne Gretzky. What was that like? Uh, at first, it was a little intimidating. I got there the first year. I was coming out of Clarkson University, and I'd coached there for five years, uh, head coach, and I got an opportunity, and Robbie got the job in, in L.A., and so, hey, that summer uh, we got Wayne, and uh, I said, oh, this will all be interesting. It's the summer yeah. of 88. Uh, I believe, yeah, summer yeah. of 88. You're good with dates. They all run <laughs> well, together. One, with one, me. Of, one, of, one of the funniest things that, that I uh, really, you know, when they showed on NHL Network a couple of years ago the the uh, highlight series highlights from the Bruins-Oilers Stanley Cup uh, final 1988, in which the Bruins were really kind of overmatched, uh, it was last year that Gretzky was with uh, the Oilers. And the last scene after the handshake, they show Wayne Gretzky skating off the ice in one direction, uh, celebrating, and Rick Middleton uh, with a bit of a sunken head skating off the ice in the other end. Neither guy knows in that moment that they have played the last game for that team. Wow. It was that the fog game? Was that the or the lights out? That was, that was the game they played in Edmonton because of the lights oh, out game okay. in Boston. This yeah. was back at Edmonton. That's the way they did it. Yeah. No, yeah. he was he was well, obviously one of the greatest players ever, uh, but a, a real good person. Uh, I had a real good relationship with him. I still help him with his fantasy camp out in Vegas uh, every year, which we just did our fifteenth year, and I think final year since he's back in hockey with Edmonton. But. Uh, I always uh, admired how he handled himself, very professional. Um, he was, as you got to know him, he was a very easy guy to talk to. He didn't have much to say. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was a pretty quiet, humble guy for all the attention and, and for his stature in hockey. I mean, he was pretty humble. And it reminds me a lot, you know, like a Bobby Orr. I mean, he always had the greatest respect for Bobby Orr. One of the uh, greatest stories you ever told me um, was the time that uh, you were watching Orr on or highlights. Yes. When you're just some downtime vegging in your office that after was, practice. I wasn't was it? vegging. I what was, was happening? I got Bobby Orr's highlights, his goals and assists. It was a long tape. And I'm in LA and I'm in my video room. And we've gotten Paul coffee. Okay. So I'm sitting there, okay. Now I've never coached a real offensive offensive defenseman. I mean this guy broke Bobby Orr's goal record. And I'm sitting there, well, what can I learn here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these tapes, and, and I'm going to look at them. And of course, being a Bruins fan growing up, I mean, Bobby Orr was the guy. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sitting in the video room. Oh, it was in the afternoon, probably 3, 3.30, and a knock comes on my door. And, yeah, who is it? It was Gretz. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what are you doing here? And I says, I'm, I'm looking at the highlights of Bobby Orr, his goals <laughs> and assists. He's really? He says, you think I could sit down and, and watch him? And there's about a 10-minute, I mean, it's about a four-hour tape. There's a 10 or 15-minute segment in there where it's their spectacular plays or spectacular goals. I mean, 
I think the one you told me about was that when he that, goes across that, the blue line, lands on his stomach, he keeps the puck, it's sliding on his shoulder, he reaches behind him and throws it to the back door to Johnny Busick, down across diagonal to the back door and Busick scores. And Gretz was there. He was there for three. He was there for that one. And that's the one he looked at me and he says, I can't watch this. <laughs> I said, you can't. He says, oh, I'm inferior. He goes, I go, no. He says, wasn't he great? He goes, you're not kidding. He said, he got up and left. Mm-hmm. I told Bobby Orr that story when we went to, L, uh, went to Boston one game. Yeah. I said, Bobby, I got to tell you, I'm showing Gretz your highlights for Paul Coffey. And I says, he had to get up out of the room. The highlights were so great. And he goes, oh, Cap, come on. I said, no, I'm telling you the truth. It's yeah. the truth. <laughs> he didn't believe well, me. Well, he appreciated what it took oh, to make some plays when you're man. getting your head smushed in the ice. Oh, and wow. Now, now uh, wasn't there a meeting between those two in which Gretz tried to communicate his respect to Orr? And- I, I I know Bobby, he'd always come in and see Wayne when we when we went to Boston. And they'd always meet and uh, have a chat. But uh, two class guys, the yeah. greatest players, you know. Gordie Howe, another one I had a chance to to get to know a little in the WHA. You played. just showed me the Gordie Howe birthday party. Yeah, fiftieth birthday yeah. party in Hartford. Howard Cosell was the MC. Oh, that's right. And uh, uh, Gordie Howe. Yeah, Gordie Howe. <laughs> Fifty years old. And Al Kaline was there. Oh my! Uh, yeah, Detroit that, Tigers. Was, yeah, there was some good people. That was that was a good party. And that's when he had signed and gone with the Whalers. Uh, I played against them in, in in Houston. When he and, played with his sons. Right, and then they came to. New England, that was my last year, my third year, and I really was the third goalie, sat in the press box, but I got to, to get in on all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. and he was a nice man, too. And the thing that I admired at that age, he was the first one at the rink, first one on the ice, mm. last one out. Mm. I mean, he, he was a pretty neat guy, and he was mean. <laughs> he <laughs> he was- had a mean streak. <laughs> I'm telling you. I saw him hit Brad Selwood. In a practice one time, I think we'd lost three or four games in a row, and we we're, we're at the old Springfield E. Now, Selwood had played in, for the Maple Leafs early yeah, in his career, right. right? And he was a veteran defenseman. And Harry Neal was our coach, and we were practicing the back check and I gap in the neutral zone. And Springfield, the old rink, was a tiny rink. Okay, tiny small neutral ice zone. surface. And I'm in the net, and Gordy's coming across the wind. Brad stands him up, stands him up a couple times, and finally this elbow comes up. This is practice. And down goes Brad Selwood. Out. And there were some words after Brad got up. But it was like, and Gordy goes right over the bench, sits down, has a stick right in front of him. Brad comes over, says a few choice words. Yeah. Old whatever. And and uh, he just said, sorry, Raxi. Sorry. Brad's, uh, you know, nickname. Sorry. Just like that, like nothing had happened on there. Like, wow. Like, I tripped you. I didn't like, mean this to. Is, this is just practice. I get that. And the elbow was so quick. Yeah. But a very nice man. Oh, a very, you know, that was a tough year for me because I didn't really play. I was there. And he, he always said nice things and, and kept me involved. And mm-hmm. I, I always thought that was special. We're talking with Cap Raider on Rink Wrap, the Bruins podcast, episode number five. And you can hear it. On Omni, O-M-N-Y, you can hear it on uh, Google Play and uh, southcoasttoday.com, southcoastvarsity.com, two websites uh, associated with the Standard Times in New Bedford, Mass., where I write. Uh, You can 
listen to various episodes of Rink Wrap the podcast. We're talking with Cap Raider. He's from Needham. He uh, grew up uh, about the most organic kind of hockey you can have in New England on the ponds, and we were just talking about that. And and uh, Cap was a goalie. He wore number two in honor of Walpole great Kevin Woods. And um, and then he had a career, a pro career. I played in college with UNH, pro, played pro with the Whalers, uh, got to do some international hockey and big events. And and uh, then you became uh, a coach. Uh, and then it later evolved in a goalie coaching. Right. And uh, what was it like after all those years of being a head coach in hockey? And, and then here I am uh, getting involved with team NHL teams goalies long after you play the game and long after the position has changed was it difficult communicating with these guys and how did you formulate your approach that uh, enabled you to help uh, younger guys who are learning it a different way than uh, what you were taught as a kid well it's funny because I never wanted to coach goalies you know I'd done a lot I'd been a head coach in college like you said assistant coach in, in pros for a lot of years and I, Warren Stralo, who was probably the best goalie coach I ever ran into, uh, who did the 80 Olympic team, and um, he was in San Jose. And I was in San Jose for 12 years, and he was there all of those. But he was getting towards the end of his career. And I'd done also, the, you know, between the coaching, I'd done some pro scouting. I was sort of, and I was doing some TV college game. I was doing a lot of different things, which I liked. And I was getting up there, and I said, yeah, this is sort of neat. I'm dabbling in all sorts of things, and they're all fun. They're all interesting. So oh, Warren didn't want to really go, or could he go, back to the mine, back and forth to the mines. We had a team in Worcester, mm-hmm. Cleveland, and then you had San Jose. And he was so important to our team in San Jose. So he goes, you know, while I'm scouting, would you mind doing the goalies? Because uh, he and Wayne Thomas did them in San Jose, and I do them in either Cleveland or – Worcester. Was Wayne Thomas GM then? He was assistant GM. He was assistant Another GM. great guy. Yeah. Oh, I saw him play guy. during uh, Ken Dryden's sabbatical year. Yeah. He was a Montreal Canadiens goalie. Yes. Yes. Before he was a Toronto and he, goalie. And then he was a Toronto goalie. We got to have a Ken Dryden story too, by the way. Okay. Later on. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, they said, would you help out with the goalies? Since you were going, oh, sure. And, and I had been following Warren. Warren and I spent a lot of time together. Uh, especially when I was an assistant coach in San Jose, and he was there the whole time, and I really admired him. He he had a nice way to communicate. It wasn't just about the skill set of the goalies. He talked to them and encouraged, and know where their confidence was going, and and get their preparation. Uh, and and he really had a. And it's easier for goalies because you're one on one with them, mm-hmm. and he established relationships with them. Uh, of trust and, and I and I, I I like that. I said, gee, that's he does a great job at that. So when I started doing the minor league guys, I said, hey, I got to get to know these guys. I got to care, you know, you got to care what they're doing, how they're developing, because that's the developmental years in the minors. And it, it was sort of neat because we didn't have goalie coaches. We sort of figured when I was playing, we just figured it out on your own. Bertie Perron's goalie coach was Jacques Plant. Yeah. Those years he played with Toronto. I mean, he was nothing special when he came up in the late oh. 60s. But when he spent that 70-71 season with Jacques Plant as in the Maple Leafs, he started becoming the goalie that would pretty much uh, make the Flyers into a championship caliber and I, team. I can remember watching Bernie Perron play for the Bruins. Right. Before the expansion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember that. He was, And he was good then, but he yeah. was just a rookie. Right. And they kept Johnston and, and Cheevers. 
That's and right. They left him exposed. That's right. One of the so, many flyers who happen to be former Bruins. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least former Bruin properties. But any, um, anyway, and and so I didn't have much. Co- you know, we figured it out. Trial and error, a lot of error. <laughs> but uh, when I got pro, I had uh, PJ Flaherty. Uh, he was an older goalie, and I had Peter McDuffie and Ross Brooks, and it's the first time I ever talked to any veteran goalies, you know, good in their craft about goaltending. Right. I was always on my own, and I found it so comforting to see that somebody was understood the position where they had a bad game or good, how you approach the next game. Uh-huh. And, and and it was really interesting. I learned so much from those guys. I was a Brooksy fan when yeah. I was a kid. I and, loved I loved Ross yeah, Brooks. Yeah, and a great another good guy. So, um, you know, when I got with Warren, it was really neat because he reinforced a lot of the things that I believed in. You know, we had the same background, you know, U.S. Yeah. College, right. coach college. And and we were very uh, relaxed with each other and, and shared a lot of information. But I did a lot of listening. But it really reinforced my thoughts about the position, too. So I was able to step in and help some of the, the goalies in the in the minor leagues. And I was done with the coaching part. I went back to scouting. I was doing scouting and the goalies. And then finally I went to Tampa. And I was a, a goalie coach there with Barry. Yeah. Who was short-lived yeah, short there. Right. And um, but, but it, it was interesting. And, and the change, I think, like the game has changed. Well, right. I mean, the whole game. And the I, position has changed. I went down to watch Didge's teams who won the New Englands at, at St. Sebastian's. And I'm watching them. I'm just standing because, you know, my buddy's coaching. And Didge was my assistant at Clarkson. Yeah. And I'm watching the games. And, wow, he had a great team. I mean, he had four guys that were like captains of the bean pot. He had great teams. And I'm watching the games. And I'm there, wow, these kids are really talented. Mm-hmm. And I started saying that after days, Didge. I said, I don't know that I could have played in this day and age. I mean, I thought we were pretty good, but these guys, these kids are great. And the well, same they, the they made themselves better athletes through yeah, training. Through training. Yeah. And, and, yeah. They, and they spend more. I think that sports now, we play soccer and, and, and baseball, and now the kids are more isolated and, okay, we're going to focus on hockey. Well, that's, that's to me when, when I, I think there was more invention in creation in in by particular athletes back in the 60s even the 70s and and in the hyper coached era in which we live uh, it's such every country learns the same stuff yeah. and you don't have quite as uh, a stark a difference between watching the Swedes play as opposed to the Czechs or the Russians or the way they skate it, there's still nuances yeah. There's still ways that players come out that, that you can sort of spot little things, but it isn't as overt as it used to be. No. And I always thought that goaltending was an art form when I was a kid and that it sort of transformed into a science. Yeah, it's and it's funny because I run it. Well, I, I do a lot of summer camps. Uh, you know, I help college kids down up here in Vermont, at Norwich and Middlebury, do a lot of youth programs and stuff. And, it, and it's really interesting. Some of them are well-schooled already. You know, they've had their goalie coaches and they've had this and that. I like to give them their freedom. We have certain principles we follow, but I'm concerned about them learning and understanding the positioning of it, the cutting the angles. I want them to play their own way. Yeah, you can go down. I love the butterfly. No one liked the butterfly more than me, but it's when you go down. Mm -hmm. It's not if you're going to. It's when you go down. 
and, and the squareness and playing percentage goal, which is needed because they with these sticks, they shoot the puck so darn hard now. And the game is faster. Oh, the game fast, yeah. is faster. And you got to be able to skate. you got to be able to move from A to B and be in that right position and block. And youth kids, the, the tendencies I see is that youth kids love reaction. You play goal because you love to react. Yeah. Right? The great glove saves and the sure. pad saves. But when you get older, you're still going to have some of those, but it's about block. It's about learning the position percentage. Which route do I take for that play? Right. Actor, you got to learn. It's that. like now reaction isn't to the situation that presents itself; it's to the situation that you've learned to anticipate. Right. And, and that's that's the crossroads for youth hockey to real hockey that I find. And then and there's so many young goalies. Believe me, that are so well trained. There's a lot of good things going on with goalies. One of the things that really stood out to me was in the 99 uh, playoffs that the eventual finalist Buffalo had Dominic Koshik in net and they were playing the Bruins in the uh, uh, second round of the playoffs. And uh, Steve Hines uh, is is going to a puck that is sitting in the circle. His body's down everywhere. Hashik's already been down because he made a save. And here comes Hines into the circle, and he's going to drill this puck. And somebody ties up his stick at the last moment, so the shot never comes off. But Hashik's glove, from nowhere, the bottom of the pile, comes flinging up into the sky. And and it is though just to take a chance, and maybe this is where that puck's going to go if somebody shoots it. He never got the shot off. But I'm thinking to myself, he's considered the greatest reaction goalie of his era, at least. I'll tell you what he did do really well, anticipated. I mean, he he did his own thing, which I, I'm a big proponent of doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, let's follow certain principles. Let's get your foundation of skills down. But you got to have your style. And you kind of, as a young goalie, were kind of counter yeah. to what you to what the folklore was, right? Oh, sure. Uh, but Hasek, when I'd watch him practice, and I'd watch him in games. He anticipated. He read plays. He knew the situation that could come up. Yeah. He was ahead of the play, which is something I, you know, sort of like a def- really... kind of like a defensive Gretzky, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was really he was an interesting guy to watch. But I liked him because he was his own guy. It's uh-huh. like Tony Esposito, right? They used to tell him. I can remember as a kid, he was with Montreal. You can't play like that. You can't play that butterfly. You can't play like that. Oh. Great, one of the great goalies ever. And they let him go, and the next year he's 15 Chicago, shutouts. Right. I mean, it, but that's the thing. Uh, it, it it changes, but. You, he told me you've got to be a good athlete to play the butterfly. Yeah, and I think you do. Athleticism has a lot to do with, with the position. He and I, obviously. Uh, when I work with women now, the one thing I'm seeing them fall behind in a bit in general is because uh, the women's hockey is getting really good. I mean, it is really. I would do the women's program at Norwich and, and Middlebury, and those kids, they're good players, and there's getting more of them. A couple of Decembers ago, I saw the Boston Pride play against the Buffalo team, and it was one of the best goaltending exhibitions yeah. I've ever seen. And, 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 and the shooting is starting to get better. That was the one weak link I thought with women's hockey was the shooting. And for the goalies, now that they're getting better shooters, their gloves. Their hands, uh-huh. you know, they're not all there with their hands yet, and that's an area because the shooting is improving now. Because and, and the women's hockey is great. I mean, it's fun to, and I enjoy working with them. They they li- actually listen, and it's it, <laughs> they got ears. <laughs> it's, it's great, and they seem to have fun at it. But anyway, uh, 
it's been fun. I, I like working with the goalies now and, it's, you know, being retired. So, so when you, what work do you do these days now um, with, with uh, hockey and goal, goal, goalie coaching? You've well, been coaching, uh, what, a uh, couple of colleges? A couple of colleges, Norwich and Middlebury. Norwich won the national championship last year, and it was, that was the four. I had those kids for four straight years, uh, and they were great kids, really refreshing working with them. Uh, Middlebury men and women, Norwich men and women. Which is where your son Doug played. Right, Doug played there. And uh, Coach Beanie back then, uh, he and I played at UNH together. Okay. So, I, I, in fact, last week I just got back from there. Uh, and what so about the women? The women uh, do a little at Naha. Uh, the women at Norwich, women at Middlebury, do some youth programs. They asked me Wasn't to Wasn't there down. some national team involvement uh, at one point? Yeah, uh, Naha is like a national pro- – back then was like the – place where everybody was going. Okay. But now, this, like I said, that's how much the women's hockey's grown. There's a lot of good teams out there now. Okay. But now was the one everybody wanted. You get your exposure. They play all year. Yeah. Uh, homeschooling. Right. That type of thing. Uh, but I really focus on And prep schools, come. I go to a couple of prep schools here and there. Whenever they ask me, I, I go down and do what I can do. Okay. Let's talk about a couple specific things with goalie coaching. Okay. Um <laughs> The reverse V, uh, the way the goalies now cover the post, yeah. the way they sort of sink down onto yeah. one pad. It's kind of one of these, uh, maybe over the last half dozen years, it's been an emerging technique. Uh, when these things happen, how do you deal with with things that they weren't your thing? No. Uh, but and you see still, it. They're still not mine, only in certain situations. Okay. Like I know one time you told me, you know, you weren't crazy about paddle down. No. Uh, and and some goalies, the way they play the game, it's, say, well, how can they not be in these situations? So how have you evolved with that uh, or, I've as changed, an example? Uh, with the, the one leg down and the paddle down going to your blocker side, I really like it in tight on wraps okay. close to the net. And tight curls. It makes sense to me. It's common sense. Okay. And I, and I buy that part. Okay. It's somebody coming down the wing and gets below the dots, and all of a sudden they drop to the one knee and lean, and they get small. Yeah. To me, they get small. I don't. I still won't adjust to that. You still want to see? You still want to see what? I want to see them out on top of the crease, square to the puck, available when they make a play. You're still up and ready to go to that next play. Right. Or if they shoot it, you just do your butterfly and you're still big. And you keep all your options open. Now, in tight, I've really come around on that probably the last six, seven years. Like, yeah, I, okay, that makes sense. The one leg down. In that little, situation. Because it's so in tight. Yeah. And, and the goalies, you can see, are comfortable. And that's part of it. They have to be comfortable with it. It used doing. to be the goalies in the stand up era thought that they had to literally hug the post and oh, that yeah. thereby the cliche yeah. uh, hug the post and they would uh, make sure they tried to literally seal it off. I don't see how this modern technique can do that, yet it seems to be the industry standard. And, and the thing about that is too, one thing that happens with the goalies today is their active stick. I don't see a lot of act like you can make plays from behind the goal line out to the slot a lot. Uh-huh. When I'm talking to goalies, we actually work on chipping pucks and deflecting them. Uh-huh. I want stick awareness there. Don't just hide on the post and let them pass pucks through. Right. If you if that's going to come through that arc, 
you got to have your stick there. It might you, you've broken up a play. Right. Your defenseman like it. You might not. You know. You you cut down a scoring chance. You you stop a penalty from happening when people are out scrambling in the creek. Anytime you can help yourself and take care of that, I want you to take charge of the crease. I want that to be your territory. One of the things that's happened in recent years, uh, and I mean last two or three, and Patrick Hornquist Stanley Cup winner late in uh, game uh, six against Ottawa was, uh, well, not Ottawa, but uh, Nashville was one of them, uh, banking the puck off the goalie. Something that uh, for a long time the goalies would like almost hide in their net to Mm -hmm. make sure that wasn't possible. And now they're not doing that anymore. And guys are even, uh, I think, I think in the Nashville, uh, the opener against the Bruins, uh, uh, one of the Nashville players, uh, it might have been the third game, banked the puck right off of the, uh, the back of, uh, Rask's yeah. head. And, 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 and when met. you go down too early, when the play's from behind, you expose your back. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why I say, I'll go for the one knee. I'll go for the down along the post, but it's, it's when, when are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, make do it when it makes sense. Don't do it when they have free shots at you. Mm. You know, you got to be aware of that. And I mean, and each everybody to their own. And I'll go to a goalie like I had Mike Smith in Tampa. And you talk about an athlete. This kid was a super athlete. He loved the one leg down. He just loved it at any time the puck up from the dot down. <laughs> I go, Mike, just stand. You're huge. You're athletic. Now that's the way I've been taught. That's the way I do it. And it's you know, yeah. okay, okay, you do it because yeah. you have to. That's yeah. you. Yeah. But after a couple of goals that went in, and two of them were in the last like 10 seconds, and we ended up losing in overtime, finally I said, hey, Mike, let's look at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's look at this. What were you, The puck was in the corner, and you're down on one knee, and it filtered through somehow. Tukares does that a little bit, too. And it's Sometimes like, hey, he seems like he's down when I'm thinking, why are you down? All, all you have to do is stand there. It's going to hit you. Yeah. You know, and that's a, and he was a good kid. Uh, you know, he, he, I really liked Mike. And now, was he in Phoenix still? No, no. The this year, uh, Calgary got him. Oh, they've they've been you know they've been thinking that their goaltending, unsolved goaltending issues, were holding them back. Yeah. And this well, year, I think he's he's the guy that they want. And to he's got a great. See, he's uh, a competitor. Yeah. I mean, he, he's capable of some amazing streaks. Yes. Oh, and when he, I was in Tampa, before he got his concu- bad concussion. He was probably one of the better goalies, and he was just a competitor and an athlete. One probably one of the best athletes I've seen him and Mike Richter. Richter, uh, yeah. Richter was a great. I had him at 13 years old doing. Uh, Jonathan uh, Quick is pretty flexible. Yeah, and I only saw him play college really, yeah. I, and then I don't follow a lot of pro hockey now. So uh, I, I saw him play at UMass and was very impressed. Yeah. One so, one thing that I didn't bring up yet about goaltending is is. Uh, goal, goalies had to make saves back in the day based on not getting yourself killed. <laughs> Nowadays, the equipment, the yeah. equipment has changed so oh, much that man. goalies are able to let the puck hit them in so many areas. And yeah, yeah some shots might hurt, but they're not going to threaten injury like they would back in the day. I mean, let's face it. Oh, oh the equipment is, I mean, you used to have bruises all over you. I remember going. You look like you're Michael Phelps after when, the cupping session. Right? When I got to Hartford, I, I I saw Bruce Landon. He was back up to Abrahamson then, and you know he's in his t-shirt. He's got bruises on there. Oh my gosh! I mean, he bruises all over. Him. Yeah. And back then, you know, your chest, arm pads. Oh, everything. They weren't what in they your are pa- now. Your pants weren't even. I didn't have had right. goalie pants. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, years later, we were playing in Chicago. 
this was 93 and we'd run gone on some streak and the guys are really you know superstitious and so we're in chicago and kretz comes to me he says cap we need a goalie stob is sick he's got the flu Mm-hmm. You know, we got to do this morning skate. We got to get it right. We, we need somebody to play. I go, I haven't played in 20-something years. <laughs> I haven't put equipment on in 30 years maybe by then. It would feel pretty strange. Too. And, and he goes, uh, he goes, well, we need you. We need to, you know, we're on a roll. And they're so superstitious. I says, Gretz, I says, I can't play. I says, plus, I'm a lefty. I'm backwards ah, and there's no, there's no other gloves. Right. I says, Esposito. He says, if you found a glove, I'd play. Yeah. Well, half hour later, doesn't Gretzky come in with a, a glove? Oh, boy. And now I got to go out there. Could you, get, now, the gloves, are, to me, are just crazy big now. Yeah, but ours was starting to get a little bigger through Dryden. Dryden yeah. was the first one with the GM21 Cooper. Uh-huh. And so that didn't throw me off too much. But the equipment, one, was so light from the skates, the pads, the chest protector, and what protection? Mm-hmm. And the mask. I well, mean, I now, had, I now had the they, could, they could run. The Higgins mask was a was a great creation by Norwood's oh. er, Ernie Higgins, which oh. he had done for his son Neil. Yeah, and um, I was fortunate enough to get one when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, you're crazy too. Yeah, but but these things uh, were meant to keep uh, save you from serious injury. Right. But if they puck hit you in a oh, shot, that stopped the game. I got hit. I think the worst injury I had was in Rochester in the American League. Where I took one Garbachuk uh, shooter that could really shoot. And back then, unlimited curve. He took one from just above the top of the circle and hit me, and it went right through. I hadn't taken care of it. and But Mr. Higgins took it back and reinforced it. And, yeah. But that was the only bad head injury I had. But, boy, if you played with that mask today, there's no way with the way they shoot. There's no Everybody way. Everybody can shoot the puck now but with the those equipment, sticks. That, those sticks, it's that, crazy. That, mor- that morning skate was uh, – so I went out. And, oh, was I exhausted. 20-minute skate, and I was exhausted. But I didn't have a bruise on me. Right. Didn't have a bruise on me. It was hysterical because they're getting a kick out of it probably. And then Melrose comes up. Because when Barry came, I had already been there four years. I'd already been in L.A. four years. And uh, he didn't really want me at the start. And then we became best of friends. Um, So he comes up to me after practice, and he looks at me, and he goes, Look at you. And he said, you're all, you know, I was all red like the I tomato. bet. <laughs> and he goes, well, I finally figured out why you're still here. I said, really? He says, do you know, I was so worried when you got in the net. Most coaches would get the head taken off. He says, not one guy shot it above the crossbar. I said, geez, I didn't even think of that. And he says, you're lucky. He says, now I know why you're here four years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, so um, but that so you was brought up you time. brought up Ken Dryden. Ken Dryden loved Ken Dryden at Cornell. The game that book is awesome. Oh, my son loved that too, and we were we were huge Dryden fans when he was at Cornell, and I think he was a shortstop in baseball. We got Ken Dryden stick. a shortstop. Yeah. Wow! Now we he had a great glove too. Great glove. What about his movement? Was oh. it good? Real good. For a big guy. Yeah. Remember back then they said big goalies couldn't play? Right. Big goalies couldn't play in the late. Not for a little not for a little goalie, they don't Now they you. all worry about size. Yeah. You know, now everybody oh he's too small. Thanks to Ken hey, Dryden. You know, they're too small. I said somebody knows how to play. They're not too small. Right. I've seen great big goalies. It's funny how he star. came along at the during the time of Rogi Vashon. Oh, right. <laughs> and 
and it's both uh, ends of the spectrum. So we got his stick. This guy Paul Burke and, and myself, Vinny Burke, used to be a referee for high school and colleges. But his son and I were good friends, and he got Kenny Dryden's stick one time his junior year, and um, I broke it. I needed a stick, and I took it, and I broke it. Oh boy! <laughs> so just Dryden senior year had to get the stick. We got to get Dryden stick. This is it. You know, this is the last senior, so they're playing Harvard in the garden. Mm-hmm. And of course, we'd watch the mass, the mass games, uh, the state tournaments. Okay. In the morning. Yeah. We watched the Bruins at one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, then the ECAC at night. Okay. So we paid two bucks to get into the the, the mass right. hockey. Yeah. Go up to section ninety nine, which was way up in the corner. That's of the, right. The garden. Yeah. And we'd stand in the urinals. When we heard the security guys, oh, come that's in. awesome! And then we'd come out for the Bruins game, oh, that's... and then we'd go back up to ninety nine. We'd come out for the college game. So oh. for two bucks, we got to see the whole. Day you of guys, so you anyway, guys. You're so in the anyway. great annals of people to to, to uh, sneak around. You, Steve Buckley from the Herald, who who, who uh, snuck into Game Five of the seventy two finals again with the Bruins and Rangers, and and then um, the voice of the Celtics, Mike Gorman, used to sneak into the Garden oh, yeah. to see the seas. Yeah, it was it was fun. We never we didn't have to we were in, <laughs> but we just went up into that section, the highest you could go up in right. the corner section. Yeah, that was way in the back, yeah, in the corner, and we could you could hear the security guys come because they had shoes on and, so yeah. and we just hop up in the, the urinals and you'd hear the door open and shut and we'd come down play cards or whatever and then go out isn't that great and uh so that night cornell's beating harvard in the championship game and we always stood behind dryden but the glass at the garden was really short on the side that's right and it's getting down it's three to one or something like that three to four to two it's a close game but Cornell's ahead, and we're standing on the, the boards and holding on to the glass, and the, they're counting down, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And we're both standing because we're going to get right out to Dryden. We're right at the side at the face-off circle, and we're going to get his stick. Yeah. And so I'm facing the clock. He's not. And so the crowd's counting down, and it gets to 5, and all of a sudden there's a roar. Well, he thinks the game's over. Cornell scored on the open net. So he's already out on the ice. Oh, no. He's on the ice, and he's out all alone in front of Dryden. Kenny, Kenny, can I have your stick? Can I have your stick? And Dryden just looks at him and raises his stick to the clock. And my friend Paul just turns around, looks at the clock. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) He's running, and the referees are chasing him. Hey, Red. He's a redhead. Hey, Red, get off the ice. Get off the ice. He goes over to the Cornell bench. And they won't let him on, and he's not the most athletic guy in the world. Oh. And so we're trying to help him back up over the boards. The re- you know, they drop the puck. We don't get the stick. Of course not. No, you're not gonna. No, we're not gonna. Oh get it. my gosh! But uh, those are the days. That was fun. Jump the gun. No, it was fun growing up in Boston, and what a great time for hockey. Um, with the big bad Bruins and and the college hockey, yeah, was evolving. I mean, it was in high school hockey. Right. Now you and I have talked about high school hockey. Sure. I mean, that was. To, to for us to even think about pro hockey, that wasn't even. It was a dream. Like my dream was to play for Needham High, right? For John Chambers, that right. was my dream when I was a little kid. Yeah, I never thought of college. I, so I drew pictures of Walpole High School jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still have the Needham jersey. You <laughs> yeah. and I, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great jersey. Although it looks awfully tiny now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or I'm bigger. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> that's what it is. I'll never forget my senior year in, at Needham. They Needham put 
gold in the jersey. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I, uh, and, yeah. And, and so the football team had gold. The basketball yeah. team had got gold. So my senior year, I'm the captain. And Coach James goes, well, we got new uniforms. And of course, they've got gold in them. Yeah. And they're not like the other ones. No. I said, Coach. Because everyone went to the mesh. I can't wear those. I says, I grew up watching Needham hockey since 1961, and I'm not going to. This is my uniform. Right. I'm not going to change and have gold in my uniform. Right. We're not Norwood. Hey, <laughs> if anybody wants to see that Needham uh, jersey, uh, the Robbie Fatorik number eight is in the sports museum at TD Garden. Yeah. So check it out. It's in when ball when Four, Four Seasons Arena in Walpole got really smoky. Oh yeah. Uh, before those games, Needham would come out. I wouldn't be able to tell if it was blue or black. It, it was it so dark. Like black. It looked it, like it black. It was black. And I mean, it, it was, was a different it was a color. deep, deep yeah. navy, but not a vivid navy. Right. It was very almost yeah. black. And Norwich was much more of a medium blue, blue yeah. with a yellow. And yeah. and and I know you hated what Walpole had done. They were a beautiful oh, uh, royal. Blue with the three stripes and the diagonal right, wall pole right. with the seraphs and and then what they did was is they changed it into like a silvery light powder, blue yeah a yeah powder blue yeah. it was like a powder blue and, I used and, to love and, wall and, uh, oh, yeah when I was a well kid, now I, I don't even like it I, and now I like it less because they've gone to like uh, navy and orange yeah it's oh, crazy yeah, it looking orange. the orange yeah. is crazy it's too yeah. much but I wouldn't wear the uniform and so I had to go to the athletic director so Mr Chambers brings me in and Mr Maloney was the AD. Ex-Marine. Everybody's a little afraid of him. I was too, but he goes, what's the problem? I says, well, I said, I grew up watching Needham High Hockey, and I'm the captain of this team, and I'm not wearing any other uniform but the, the blue and white. Yeah. I don't want gold. I don't like the gold. I haven't gone to a football game since they took the stripes off the shoulder. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't like it. Crazy goalie. Yeah, and he goes, well, John, and he looks at Coach James. Well, John, what do you think? He looked at, Coach looked at me, and he goes, He's the captain. He's, wow. We didn't wear him. So you guys wore the we traditionals? Wore the traditional oh, good yet. job. Good yeah. job. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, well, we could talk here all day, all, day. all night, and the rest of fall until the snow falls. <laughs> it'll, we snow, could, it'll snow next week. <laughs> it probably will, although it was almost summery here today yeah, as you were uh, showing uh, Lauren and I around. Um, but uh, that was terrific. We thank you so much for coming on to the uh, podcast, the Rink Wrap podcast. I've uh, been looking forward to doing this with you as well as just making a visit here up at Harvey's Lake. Yeah, well, it's, it's nice to talk hockey. You don't get to talk much hockey up here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you'll have to come up in January. We'll show you what real winter's like. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You're rubbing it in that I, I live in the bottom end of New England. Uh, anyway, you've been listening to the Rink Wrap, uh, Rink Wrap the podcast, the Bruins podcast with Mick Collagio and my very special guest, uh, Cap Raider, uh, formerly Needham High School, New England Whalers, uh, San Jose Sharks, and uh, Pro Scout. Actually had to coach a couple of games. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So you're like a 2-0 and all-time in the NHL? 1-0. and 1-0 all-time in the NHL head yeah. coaching. Yeah. So uh, you got a better record than Scotty Bowman. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> but you can listen to, you can find uh, Rink Wrap the podcast on Google Play, iTunes, uh, Omni, which is spelled O-M-N-Y, and, uh, and also link to it when uh, South Coast uh, varsity.com uh, or southcoasttoday.com uh, puts it out there on Twitter or Facebook. Um, and I will retweet at Mick Collagio when you uh, get that. And also make sure you read Rink Wrap the blog, uh, the Bruins blog, Rink Wrap, 
that is at blogs.southcoasttoday.com slash Bruins. So until the next episode of Rink Wrap the Podcast, happy hockey, everyone.